This message was recorded at Devoted, a Christ Central Festival for all the family. To find out more about Devoted, please visit devotedevent.org. Good morning, everyone. How are you doing? Everyone okay? Wonderful. Well, it's great to have you with us. For those of you who don't know, my name's Andy, and uh, I have the privilege of hosting today and speaking today, and uh, it's great to have you with us in this seminar. Um, as you're coming in, if you can use this central block, that would really help me, um, just because I can see you. Um, it's quite dark over these sides, so I can't see you, and you'll get more out of it if we're able to interact together when we, when we speak. So just before I begin, let me just introduce uh, the team to you. Um, as I've said, my name's Andy. This is Hazel, my wife, over here at the front with Joe and Paul, Dave and Rosie and Graham. We have the privilege of just uh, running these seminars for you over these next few days. And uh, it's going to be really fun. I trust you're expectant of what Holy Spirit is going to do uh, as we engage with him. So let's just pray and then I'll, uh, I'll begin. Holy Spirit, I just want to invite you to come and manifest the presence of God amongst us. Holy Spirit, would you stir our hearts today? Stir our hearts towards our wonderful Father. Would you stir our hearts towards the voice of Jesus, that we may be those ambassadors for you uh, in the world as we take the kingdom wherever we are. And Heavenly Father, we just want to say, Lord, we are here for you. We want more of you. We want to see more of your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So I pray, would you speak to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. Well, I've, I've got the, uh, the interesting or dubious privilege of trying to run my own PowerPoint as we go here. So uh, let's see where we, where we end up with that. I may forget, so we'll see how we go. But the title of my um, seminar session today is being led by the Spirit. What is it to be led by? by the Spirit, um, and uh, I'm hoping that we can really delve into some stuff that allows us to put that into practice. Um, just as I give you a bit of background to myself, this is uh, a recent wedding, like two weekends ago, that's uh, my son, youngest son in the middle, and my eldest son uh, on the end with uh, their wives and fiancés, uh, or one wife and one fiancé, should I say. Um, and they've chosen one to get married two weeks ago, and then the next one's getting married in five weeks' time. Um, so that is the Robinson clan as it now stands, and uh, we're part of the church in Horsham, and uh, we just love enjoying the presence of God together as a church, and uh, we want to share that as much as we can. So... Before I get into what I'm going to talk about, I do want to recommend a book. Oh, look, that's stretched over onto the next line on here. There we go. Never mind. This book has not yet been released, but it's coming out on the 1st of September, and I want to highly recommend it to you. It's by a friend of mine called Anthony Hilda, uh, and this book really takes the, the, the gift of prophecy and how we use it, and it debunks it for us. It is so practical. It's so helpful. It's so theologically based. Uh, I would really commend it to leaders. Uh, and to uh, people that just want to pursue that gift of prophecy. It's a wonderful, wonderful book. I've just had the privilege of uh, previewing and reading the manuscript, 
uh, and I do really want to commend that to you. Um, if you want to follow me on any of those kind of platforms, then I'll be tweeting about how you can get hold of it uh, and where to order it um, in the next little while. So please feel free to, to just uh, connect with that. But it's a, a wonderful book. And given the topic that we're, we're looking at in terms of pursuing the presence and understanding God's speaking to us, I, I just want to recommend that, recommend that to you. Wonderful. I just want to say as well that we want this to be a real safe place for you. This is a safe place to do business with God. And I want you, if you will, just to, if you like, do a deal with the Holy Spirit right now and just say, if you speak to me, I will respond. If you speak to me, I'll respond. Um, and I'm going to be doing my best to listen to the Holy Spirit as I'm speaking so that if I feel him speaking to me, I'm going to stop and we'll go after whatever it is Holy Spirit wants to do amongst us. Is that okay? So my promise to you is, is I'll stop if I hear Holy Spirit speaking. Your deal to me is you'll respond if he's speaking to you. Does that sound like a plan? Great. Wonderful. Well, let us uh, dig into what I feel that the Lord's got for us today. And the first thing I want us to consider is a thing called a theology gap. How big is your theology gap? And a theology gap is basically the distance between what you believe and what you expect to happen. A theology gap is the distance between the theology that you hold and the experience that you have. I don't need to come and give you a good theology, probably, of the Holy Spirit. I'm sure you've got that. But my question is, how big is the gap between the theology that you hold and the life that you live? What is that like? And that is the thing I want us to look at closing this morning. How do we close that theology gap? What is it to be led by the Spirit actually every day? What, what is it like for us to be full of the Spirit? And, and that's my, my hope as we move into what God has for us today. We, we have to have more than an agreement or an understanding of the Holy Spirit. We have to have a, an experience of him, of what it is to be led by him. We, we've got to move from that, that place of theology to experience. And... Um, I think it's, it's something that we agree with mentally, but we don't always go with. And I, what is it to be led by the Spirit every day? I don't mean, you know, asking him what color socks to put on, but what is it to be led by him in every conversation that we have, in every interaction we have? What, what does that look like? What does it feel like? How do we even get to a place where we can genuinely say, that we are living a life led by the Spirit. And so, what better place for us to start to look at this but the life of Jesus? Um, you know, Jesus, we know and believe, was fully God, yet fully man. And as he lived as fully man, he demonstrated to us what a redeemed life looks like. See, what Jesus won for us on the cross was he reversed the curse. He reversed what Adam lost in the garden. And so his life demonstrates to us what that redeemed life can look like. And so that's why we say he's our example in everything, is because he modeled for us being fully man, 
yet fully God, what it was to live a life that was fully redeemed with the curse reversed. So let's have a look at a very famous verse in Luke 4, verse 1. It will be part of a story that you're very familiar with, the baptism of Jesus. And we read this, and Jesus Full of the Spirit, this is me trying to get, there we go. Full of the Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And so the first thing that we realize is that if we're going to be led by the Spirit, we need to be full of the Spirit. Okay, and this is actually an apostolic foundation. What we read in the New Testament is, is, is that this is an apostolic foundation. It's not a, a nice to have. It's not to, if you feel like it. Being full of the Spirit is an apostolic foundation. And we, we know from Ephesians that the church is built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets. And so it's important we recognize this for what it is. It's an apostolic foundation. And, and we know that because the fact that the apostles constantly asked this question. When they met new Christians, when they met people that were professing to be believers, what they did was they checked to see if this apostolic foundation had been laid. And so this is something for us to really think about, is, is that this isn't a, if you'd like to, this is a, an apostolic foundation. The first question that we see the apostles asking people who profess Jesus is to say, did you receive the Spirit? When they met someone, they, they said, did you receive the Spirit when you believed? Are you full of the Spirit? And we read this in, in Acts 19. And it happened that while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. And there he found some disciples and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we'd not even heard that there was a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. And so that we, we see Paul speaking to these men. He finds them... They say that they're believers as he questions them, but he doesn't ask, he doesn't ask, are you Calvinists? Which would have been quite prophetic at the time. Obviously, Calvin had not come, but he's not delving into their theology. He's not finding out, well, which team do you bat for? Which, which sphere are you in? What is your theology on any of this? He doesn't go anywhere like that. What he's looking for is the authentication of the Spirit. He's looking for evidence of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And Paul said to them, did you receive the Spirit when you believed? That was where he was going with everything. Did you receive the Spirit? And so whilst they professed Jesus, there wasn't that authentication of the Spirit as Paul delved in a little deeper. He asked them about their, their baptism and well, if, if you weren't baptized into, into Jesus, into the Spirit, then 
what were you baptized into? And so he, he pressed that a little bit. And it transpired that they'd received a, a, a gospel of repentance, but not one of power in the Holy Spirit. And uh, I don't know if you've read some of Bill Johnson's books, but he said this, most Christians repent enough to get forgiven, but not enough to see the kingdom. And I think there's something for us to, to learn in that, in that sense of these disciples here, they'd, they'd repented, but they'd not come to that place of being full of the Spirit. And that was what Paul was pushing for. And he, as I say, it's important to remember, he doesn't kind of work out, are you all Christians? What's your theology? He's looking for that authentication. And the Spirit came on them, we read, and it says that they, they were filled with power. They were filled with power. There was tongues and there was prophecy. And we are, as, as we think about church leaders, some of us maybe as individuals, where are we with that? Because Paul makes being full of the Spirit a non-negotiable. It's an apostolic foundation. It was the first thing he looked for was evidence of the Holy Spirit. And so as we consider our, our people we meet who profess to be Christians, one another even, I guess it's, it's fair to ask, is there evidence of the Holy Spirit? And I have to ask myself sometimes, I just wonder, as a church leader, how much time have I wasted trying to minister to people who profess Jesus but aren't actually saved? I'm just putting it out there. Am I as quick as Paul was to look for the authentication of the Spirit, because if I'm trying to minister someone as a believer who isn't a believer, that's going to be a problem. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard, possibly impossible. And so I want us to consider that sense of looking for the evidence, the authentication of the Spirit, not only in our lives, but in others' lives too. As I've said, it's not an optional extra for us. It wasn't an optional extra for Jesus, and it wasn't an optional extra for the apostles and the early church. And the first thing they did on encountering someone who said they were a believer was asking, are you full of the Spirit? And uh, the response we've just read was, well, we didn't even know if there was a Spirit. And maybe that's the answer today. Maybe the answer today is more often, I don't know. As I've asked people, are you baptized in the Spirit? Often that's the answer. Well, I, I don't know. And my, my, my gut feeling is, is if you don't know, you're probably not. Because there's evidence if we're full of the Spirit. There's an authentication of the Spirit. And I'm not saying that to you to make you feel bad. I'm thinking, let's get hungry for it. If I haven't got it, I want it. That should be our, our heart and our, our desire is, I want to be full of the Spirit. And what Paul did was he just said to them, let's fix that. We can fix that. And I want to say to everyone here that actually if you don't know that you're full of the Spirit, or even if you do know that you're not full of the Spirit, we'd love to pray with you. 
That's why we love doing what we do. Any opportunity to pray for people, to be baptized in the Spirit, to be refilled in the Spirit, to be, receive power from the Spirit, we love it. We love it. And we're happy to stay here and pray and pray and pray till everyone's been prayed for. Because this is such a key foundation for us. Jesus said to the disciples, then he said, wait, at Pentecost, he said, wait until power comes. They weren't sitting up there, were they, thinking, well, does it come or not? Do you think it's come? I, I don't know. Has it come? They, they knew when it came. There was no doubt when it came. And, and I believe that that's true of us receiving the Spirit. There's clear evidence, if you, if you like, that, that something has happened. This cannot simply be something that we theologically agree with. A theological agreement won't mean that you're full of the Spirit. There has to be evidence. There has to be an encounter. And as I read the New Testament examples, uh, there's four that we, talk, we see where the Holy Spirit is baptizing people. And on three of those occasions, they speak in tongues. And on the fourth occasion, it doesn't say whether they spoke in tongues or what, but it does say that there was evidence so they knew that they'd been baptized in the Spirit. And so when I pray for people to be baptized in the Spirit, my expectation is, is that they will speak in tongues. I wouldn't go so far as to say 100% of the time, but my expectation is, is that they will speak in tongues or there will be some supernatural evidence of power coming on them as the Holy Spirit fills them. That's my, my expectation. And so there's evidence when power comes on us as, as believers. And so it's important as we look at this life led, being led by the Spirit, that we are full of the Spirit. And, and in this passage we read that Paul laid their hands on those, those folks and there was an impartation. Uh, there was an impartation that occurred and, and we believe in that. We believe in laying hands on people and imparting uh, the Holy Spirit. Um, there's a supernatural event that takes place. So we'd love to, to do that. And, and speaking in tongues, I know, is one of those weird things. If you, it, it, it's one of those strange things because God does not take over your body and you just start speaking. Okay? When you're, when you're baptized in the Spirit, there has to become that step of faith where you engage your voice box, your lungs, your diaphragm in order to speak. Uh, Terry Virgo once said that if you don't speak in tongues, then you won't speak in tongues. And, and what he means is there's that sense of you, you have to take part in it. And in faith, speak words that make no sense to you. But actually, as you do so, something wells up from, from within you. So I think it's important that we consider we need to be full of the, the Spirit, just as Jesus was, just as the first apostles demonstrated. As Christians, we must be. We need to be filled and baptized with the Spirit. And that will be the, the, the starting point of us being led by the Spirit. And uh, being full of the Spirit doesn't mean I was, I was once full. The Bible says that Jesus, full of the Spirit. It doesn't say, well, Jesus was once full of the Spirit. It says he was full. He was continually full. 
And you've almost certainly heard people talk about uh, that verse in the Bible that talks about being refilled with the Spirit. That we have to be refilled and people often say that the reason we have to be refilled is because we leak. Have you heard that? Bunkum. Alright? If you leak, something's broken. If you leak, something needs to be fixed. The reason that we need to be refilled is because we should be giving away what we've so freely received. And the reason I need to be full of the Spirit is because I keep, I keep giving it away. And as I keep giving it away, I can receive more. If you leak, that means you can just hang on to the Spirit, not do anything, and just wait, and slowly the, 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 you'll leak away, and maybe you'll get full again. But the point is, is that we need to be being filled because we should be giving away what we've so freely received. And that's why I, I need to be refilled, because I'm giving it away. And some years ago, uh, before I was in full-time ministry, when I had a proper job, some would say, um, I used to uh, travel a lot. I used to travel all over the world. And um, I'm just thinking I've got no idea where we are. Ah, here we go. So I used to fly all over the world, and I used to spend a lot of time in coffee shops, as you do. And I remember one time I was in a place called a state called Wisconsin. Anybody heard of Wisconsin? It's the state in America where everybody takes the mickey out of them, a bit like we used to years ago about the Irish. Well, Wisconsin is where they all take the mickey out of people. And I was in a place called Lacrosse, which is where the, the lacrosse game comes from, originated from. And it's a tiny little place in the back end of nowhere, uh, and it has a small airport. And I was at the airport, I went to check-in, uh, and the check-in staff told me that uh, my plane was going to be delayed and that I should go to the cafe. And so I went up to the cafe in this tiny little airport. It was overlooking the runway, as you can see there. Uh, and I bought myself a cup of coffee for the princely sum of $1. And uh, as I sat there waiting for the delay, or, uh, the, I suddenly realized that this, this small delay turned out to be five hours. Okay, so I was waiting there for five hours. Um, and uh, all that time, every time the waitress come past, she'd top up my coffee. Now, it turned out that the reason I was delayed was because they were trying to land Air Force One uh, on this tiny little runway. And if there are any pilots here, you want to ask yourself how they did that. I have no idea. Um, but Air Force One was landing, and that was the reason for my five-hour delay. And uh, you can see there that the door for the plane didn't open towards the, the terminal, so all I saw was the president's feet. So as he was rushed into his car, all I saw was the president's feet as he was coming out. But after my delay, I did get to walk underneath the wing of Air Force One. But I was so stoked, not because I was walking under the wing of Air Force One, but because I was so full of caffeine from these five hours of this girl continually topping up my coffee. And who knew that when I went to pay, she said to me, you've already paid. I thought, what? And she said, you paid at the beginning. It's free refills. And she filled my cup all day for the sum of $1. And the point is, is that God's just the same. We get free refills. Okay, we can come back to him again and again. And there are free refills for all of us. And so in this passage that we started off with, we saw that Jesus was full of the Spirit 
And he remained full of the Spirit. And that is what we are called to do. And so we're always needing to be full. And as I've said to you, I'm sure you'll know that in Ephesians 5.18, when it talks about this, being filled with the Spirit, the theologians among you will know that it, is, it has this sense of be being filled, be continually being filled. And that's where I wonder where our theology gap is sometimes, is how are we being being filled? And, and what that really means, be being filled, is, is that you have a lifestyle of on, and an ongoing practice of being filled. And so let me ask you that question, is do you have a lifestyle, a daily practice of being filled with the Spirit? Because that's what that verse means. And most of us can trip it off the tongue if I was to stop you and ask you, you know that verse about being being filled, what does it mean? You'd say, well, it means to be constantly filled. But the reality is, is there's this theology gap where we don't actually have a practice of being filled. Are you constantly in your daily practice going back to the Holy Spirit and saying, I need more. I need more of you. I want to see more of you in my life. Because if we're going to be led by the Spirit, we have to be continually full of the Spirit. We have to be continually full. I just, I'm going to just wait on Holy Spirit right now and just give you opportunity. Is, is there anyone here you just go, do you know what, that is not my daily practice. I need to do something about that. Why don't you just stand where you are? Come on, you promised. Wonderful. Now, I'm not going to pray for you to be full of the Holy Spirit right now. You can come forward. But I do think there's something about engaging physically with what the Holy Spirit's doing spiritually. And I'm going to take a picture of you also. I know who stood, so you'll have to come forward at the end. All right? But there's something as we take a step, an action, and we engage with the Holy Spirit, I believe something important happens. So I'm just going to quickly pray, and then I'll ask you, look, if you want prayer afterwards, please come. We'd love to, we'd love to pray for you. Thank you, Jesus, that you are such a great and wonderful example to us. And Holy Spirit, we thank you so much that you come and that you fill us and that you empower us. And Father, I just want to pray now for each one stood. Lord God, would you encounter them? Would you meet with them this morning? Lord God, would you see them as they stood and said, I need, I need a daily practice. I need that be being filled as a regular practice in my life. I pray, Lord, as you, as you see them do that, would you engage with them? Would you partner with them and fill them? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. Please take your seat. So Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. We know that. He returned from the Jordan and he was, it says he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. But what does that really mean? What does being led by the Spirit mean? really mean we all know we've all heard people going well as the spirit leads or you know this kind of stuff but what does it what does it really really mean 
Let's have a look at how Jesus articulated it in John 15, verse 19. And so Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whoever, whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. And I think this is a fascinating verse. Jesus said it several times. I'm only going to do what I see the Father doing. I'm only going to say what I hear the Father saying. Jesus was so sensitive to the Holy Spirit that he was able to say, I only do. I only do what I see the Father doing. Do you know what that means? I don't mean what it means in the Greek or something, but what does that mean? It means that Jesus did nothing of his own initiative. I only do what I see the Father doing. Have you thought about that? Jesus didn't do anything of his own initiative. Now, in our culture, <laughs> that is a bit of a problem for us, isn't it? Because we prize independence. Independence is a massive prize in our culture. We prize exercising our free will above all else. I should be able to do whatever I want to do. We usually caveat it with as long as it doesn't harm anybody else, no harm. But I should be able to do whatever I want to do. That is the most prized goal of our, of our culture. It's all about me, myself, and I. It's that whole sense of prizing independence, our own initiative, self-actualization, all of those things are all the things that our culture prize. But the Bible tells us not to conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. And so we need to change our thinking, this passage says. Our culture is leading us in a way that is contrary to the kingdom. And we have to address our culture, any culture, when it's contrary to the kingdom. Now I get to travel to other nations and we often have cultural training. How to, how to operate in that culture so as to not to offend that culture. But actually in discussion with people like Joseph Mawila and others, we, we do get to the point where we're saying, unless that culture's contrary to the kingdom culture, and we should address that, whether it's our own or someone else's. And so our culture is prizing self-actualization, it's prizing independence, it's prizing free will. But that's contrary to what we see here in the scriptures, we need to change our thinking, to change our minds, it says, to discern what the will of the Father is. Because if we want to be led by the Spirit, if we want to be those that are only saying what the Father is saying, only, only doing what the Father's calling us to do, then we need to rein in our own will. We need to bring our will into line with the Father. And that's not something our culture relishes. And our culture seeps into our churches. We need to bring our will 
into line with the Father's. Have you ever considered the fact that Jesus' will was different to the Father's will? It's really easy for us sometimes when we consider the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect unity, to assume that that unity is because they have a shared will. It's kind of, they all want to do the same thing, so there's unity. And we can often think that's what unity is. We think unity is because we, we all just get to the place where we all want to do the same thing. Is that fair? You, I'm not sure if you're like rabbits caught in the headlights or whatever, but I'm going to take from your silence that you're going, yeah, but I don't want to move in case I'm agreeing with you. But the truth is, is, is that unity is not about having a shared will. Unity is about having our will subjected to God's will. And so Jesus had a different will, not necessarily all the time, but clearly there were times when his will was different to the will of the Father. When he was in Gethsemane, he said, if this cup can pass me by, but not my will, but yours. There were several occasions that we read that, that Jesus did that. I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me, John 5. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus' will was perfectly submitted to the will of the Father. And so unity isn't always about everybody's will lining up. It's about our wills being subject to the will of the Father. So Jesus' will, Holy Spirit's will, is subject to the will of the Father. And so we see this actually in the Lord's Prayer, you know. I'm sure we're all into that let's pray heaven on earth stuff, which is brilliant. I pray it all the time. I love it. But what are we praying? We're saying, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So that means us subjecting our will to the will of the Father. As so when we pray that, we have a responsibility to actually do it. And so often when we're praying that, we're hoping our will is God's will and we're inviting him to come and join us to do our will where our prayer should be, your will be done. And so when we pray that prayer, we want to see heaven on earth. Actually, we have a responsibility to be submitting our will to his will. We need to change our thinking, remove individualism, self-actualization and all that kind of stuff that our culture so prizes. And I need to discern the will of the Father. That's what that verse says. It says to be transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we might know what the will of the Father is. We need to have our minds changed. And actually, that's at the root of the word repent. We know repent means to turn the other way, but it means to change your thinking. He said, change your thinking. And this is where maturity as a Christian comes in. When we want to be mature as Christians, it means that we have to change our thinking and bring our will into line with that of the Father. That's what being mature is, actually. Being able to submit our will and say, not my will, 
but yours. For those of you that are parents, when you see a small child stamping their feet and screaming, maybe that's only my children, but you know, what are they doing? What they're doing is they're trying to assert their will over yours. That's what they're doing. You say you can't do that, and they scream and shout and stomp. And they start screaming and bawling. They're realizing that their will has arrived, and they're now trying to impose it on you. But why do they stamp and scream? It's because they're immature. They're young. They're babies. They're immature. But as they mature... They understand that there's wisdom, that there's safety, and there's provision in submitting their will to the will of their father. And actually, the older they get, the more they see that. That's what maturity is by definition. It's they realize that actually, even though their will may be different, that there's actually wisdom and safety in submitting their will to the will of their father. And so Jesus was full of the Spirit, and we need to be full of the Spirit. He subjected his will to the will of the Father, as must we. And it was from this place of submission that the authority of the Father comes. In John 12, 49, it says, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. And so what we're seeing in this being full of the Spirit, subjecting our will to the will of the Father, is, is that with that then comes his authority, our authority to speak because we've subjected ourselves to his will. And this is where we get to that place and position of only saying what the Father is saying. Because when we do that, when we're, when we're saying what the Father's saying, we're then saying it with his authority. That was the reason Jesus said he had authority, was that he'd subjected his will to the will of the Father, and he was only saying what the Father had said. And as a result, authority came. And so if we are subject to Father's mission, his will, then we'll carry out what he's asked us to do in his authority because he'll give us the authority for the mission that he's asked us to be on. But if we're on our own mission, then we'll only carry the authority that we have for our mission. And that's huge. If we're on his mission, then we'll carry his authority. But if we do it on our own, we're only going to carry our own authority. And that's often, i found, where things go a bit pear-shaped. But often we do it. We, we think when we're doing good stuff, when we think we're doing the right things, we still have to ask ourselves, have we been authorized by the Holy Spirit to do them? And I've been really thinking long and hard about this over the last little while. Last year, much of the year before, was not a good time for me. It wasn't a good time for us as a church, actually, the truth be told. Very difficult time. And through that time, you've got to consider what is it that the Holy Spirit is saying to you and, and, and why we do what we do. 
And I realized that there had been things that, that I'd been doing, um, invitations to speak that I'd said yes to, that actually the Holy Spirit hadn't authorized me to do. I realized that in those difficult times, I was looking for affirmation. I was looking for the praise of men because I felt down. I felt miserable. I felt things were going really badly. And so, actually, I, I said yes to things because in me there was a need for affirmation, which I wasn't finding where I was. And so I went to look for it somewhere else. And I say that to my shame, not to, to, to any other reason other than to, to show you and to tell you that actually it's not doing good stuff doesn't always and, and mean that God has authorized us to do it. We have to ask ourselves, am I on his mission or am I trying to get him to come on my mission? And just to confuse everything, and this is where you get confused, I could easily justify to myself that even though I wasn't authorized to be there, I could justify to myself being there because God turned up anyway. And so I'm in a situation where Holy Spirit hasn't authorized me to be there, yet still people are being saved and healed and set free. And all of that tells you is how much God loves those people. He loves them more than my failure. He loves them more than my error. And in my stupidity, I then use that to justify my error. How many of us try and get God to come on our mission? And then try and justify it because he pitches up in his goodness. And so we have to learn what is it we've been authorized to do. We have to change our thinking. This has been something that has just come out of what I'm learning about what it is to have an orphan heart. You know, Bill Johnson, when he said, you, you repent enough to be saved but not enough to see the kingdom. I think sometimes I, I repent enough to be saved but not always enough to understand that I'm a son. That actually I'm a son of the king. I'm not, I'm not an orphan in the kingdom. I'm not a street kid in the kingdom of God. I'm a son. But actually sometimes I continue to behave like an, an orphan because my will isn't actually submitted to the will of the Father. And so we have to wonder some of the things that we do, good things that we do, we need to ask God, is this my mission that I'm asking you to be on or is it your mission? And we need to subject our will to his. And Jesus did that. He was full of the Spirit. His will was subjected to God's mission. It wasn't his own mission. It wasn't what he dreamt up. It was only what the Father said to do. And so Jesus was sent. For God so loved the world that he sent his son. Jesus wasn't sitting around thinking, well, what shall I do now? Hey, maybe I could go to earth, sort this out. No, God sent. Jesus. Jesus' will was submitted to the will of the Father, and as such, he came with the Father's authority. And so we just have to be sure that our orphan-heartedness isn't creating a mission for us. So my orphan-heartedness was creating a mission to go and speak or do stuff, but actually it was, it was because of my need for affirmation that I was 
I was creating a mission. It wasn't necessarily the mission that God was giving me. I was looking for the applause of men rather than realizing that actually I'm applauded by God when I'm in, I, I behave like a son. And if God isn't asking me to do anything, then I get applauded when I do nothing. But if he asks me to do something and my will submitted to him and I do it, then I get the same applause as if I did nothing because he wasn't asking me to do anything. And so we need to make sure that our orphan-heartedness, our need for stuff, isn't creating our mission. To make sure that we're on his mission. And so let me ask you the question. Whose mission are you on? The things that you're involved with now, even the things that you aspire to, are those things, aspirations that are coming out of an intimacy with the Holy Spirit, or are those things coming out of actually an orphan-hearted need in you to fulfill something in you? I'm just going to stop there for one second. Because I know Holy Spirit is speaking now. I've hung all my dirty washing out on the line. And if Holy Spirit is speaking to you, I'd ask you to stand where you are right now. Thank you. Anyone else just thinking, I'm not sure I'm on his mission. I think I'm creating a mission for myself. Going once, going twice. You just stand where you are. My, my washing's already hanging out, so you're not going to look bad. Well done. There's a moment of grace that comes, I believe, when Holy Spirit speaks, where you can get for free what you're going to have to fight for later. Um, I used to say, uh, when I ask people to respond to stuff, don't come to me afterwards, otherwise I'll headbutt you. Okay, but I've stopped doing that. Because I, I don't think it's true. I wouldn't headbutt you. And actually, God will give things to you. I just know that there's a moment of grace where we can receive it in the moment, whereas we have to work for it a little bit harder. So, as you've stood. Okay, now, I know Christ Central believe that we're a priesthood of all believers, don't we? So, why don't you, if you're near one of those people that have stood up, just gather around them. It doesn't matter if it gets all messy. Just lay hands on them. They, they've stood up and been super, super brave. Um, and I'd love us just to be at a Pray for them. So if you can run around now, you see someone stood, please don't leave them on their own. Wonderful. You're so good. God, you are so good to us. You are so good. Father, I thank you, Lord, when we stand before you and acknowledging, Lord God, our error, Lord, that you are swift to come. You are swift to forgive. You are swift to uh, take our apology and love us and, and just wrap your arms around us. And so, Father, I thank you for every person that has stood right now as you, Holy Spirit, have been speaking to them. And we pray right now, Lord, would you, would you free them? Would you free them from the thinking of creating their own mission? And I pray, Holy Spirit, today and over this weekend, would you launch in them? Lord, the mission that you have for them. As they subject 
their will to your will and say, not my will be done, but yours, O Lord. As we pray that prayer with them, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I pray that you would release vision. Would you speak to them in dreams through prophetic words and pictures, Lord God, that they would know the mission that you've called them to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. Okay. Keep praying if you need to pray. I'm going to start moving on a little bit. I want us to get into that understanding of that we need to be led by the Spirit. In order to do that, we need to hear the Spirit. And Jesus, we know, was full of the Spirit, and he was led by the Spirit. And he, was, he did that because he listened and he, and he heard, and, uh, and he took risks. He took risks. I take risks. When, we, when you give a word of knowledge, I think you're always taking a risk. And sometimes you just have to give it a go. And people often ask me, you know, well, how is it you hear the Holy Spirit when you're preaching and, and all that kind of stuff? You just have to give it a go. Sometimes you just have to give it a go. Sometimes he speaks beforehand, and I can write it down in my notes or jot it down on a post-it. Sometimes it's in the moment, but most often you have to just give it a go. But when you think about how, then I'd like you to consider this verse, which is something that I've been uh, just pondering for some time now. Jesus saying, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice, they know me, and they follow me. And so the fact that, the, that he speaks of him knowing us, speaks of intimacy, of relationship, of depth of friendship. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. So there's something of relationship there, of intimacy that we have to consider so that to be led by the Spirit when he comes, we're able to hear the voice of Jesus because we know him and he knows us. And we've talked about that practice of being continually filled with the Spirit. And that comes through actually developing a practice, a daily intimacy with a con and a connection to Jesus. There are no shortcuts. If you want to be led by the Spirit, only saying what the Spirit says, then actually you're going to have to develop a practice of daily intimacy with him. But that isn't the end point. The end point isn't simply to develop an intimacy with Jesus, although we want that, and I want that for all of us. It's so that we can do what he says. My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. And I think sometimes we get so caught up in, well, I've, you know, is, is my intimacy with Jesus enough? And we're, we're constantly trying to, to develop that, and that is brilliant, but that is not simply the end result. The end result is that we know his voice and we follow him. We follow where he leads. Now, I'm the parent of two boys, as you saw in that picture, who have allegedly left their teenage years behind them. Um, but having looked in Tom, who's my eldest boy, he's 24, he's still at home, he's getting married in five weeks' time. But as I looked into his bedroom just before I left, I'm not entirely sure that the teenage years have in fact left. Um, and uh, I don't know if you're a parent, how many times you've said to your kids to clean up your room. Now you know that they've heard your voice. And you know that you're in relationship with them. 
but they don't follow you. They don't do what you've said. Anyone tracking with that? Yeah, there's some parents in the room. So what happens? So what happens in truth is you get to a point sometimes, which Hazel and I have got to um, in our house, where we've just stopped asking. We've just stopped asking. He's getting married soon. It'll be someone else's problem. But you do. You get to that point where you've just stopped asking. We give up. And what we do now is just shut the door. Or actually often open the window and then shut the door. I'm just putting it out there. But there is that sense of we've, we, we love our son and he loves us. We, we're great friends. And I know he's heard my voice, but he's not done what I've asked him to do. And so we just shut the door. And I wonder sometimes how often the Holy Spirit feels like that. He just shuts the door to your bedroom and says, okay, my sheep know my voice. I know them and they follow me. Are we still immature teenagers that hear his voice, have intimacy with him, but we still don't do what he asks us to do. And I just want to go out on a limb now and just ask, I just feel like there's someone that knows that's where they're at, that God has been continually asking them to do something and they've ignored it or trying their best to ignore it. Is that anyone? I'd love to pray with you if that's you. I know it's a biggie, but this is a safe place. Going once. It might be. Well, <laughs> I, that, that's great. We'll pray with you. I'm sure. I just feel like there's someone that, as I'm speaking, they know that he's been. Well done. Man, that's brave right there. That's brave. And heaven is applauding you right now. So. If you're just nearby that lady just there, could you just, right behind you, there we go, wonderful, just lay your hands on her. Holy Spirit, I just ask you, would you come now, would you come and meet with our sister, thank you that she's acknowledged, that she's heard you, that she loves you, and now I pray, Lord God, would you give her the ability to submit her will to yours? And where she's known you to speak, Lord, I pray, give her the courage and the resources that she needs to say yes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know when we hear that story about Jesus going after the one, the one sheep, uh, it's often difficult to, what does that look like? But for me, in these contexts, th this is how Jesus goes after the one. In a room with, I don't know how many people in, just going after the one. How cool is that? He's good, isn't he? Wonderful. Wonderful. So, Jesus, he says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. And so, if you want to be led by the Spirit, you, you've got to know what the voice of Jesus sounds like. And then you've got to be willing to do what he wants you to do. And that requires you to take some risks. We have to get to a point where we take risks. 
Because how can we tell if it's Jesus' voice or the brew we ate last night? And the best way to do that is to give it a go. Now there's basic tests you need to apply when you think the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. Is, is it in contradiction to anything the Bible is saying? Because if it is, it's the brew. Okay, if you're unsure if it's going to bring harm to you or anyone else, speak to your leaders, speak to people around you. But outside of those basic caveats, notwithstanding those basic tests, the best way to determine if you think, is this you, Jesus, is to go for it and give it a go. And maybe, just maybe, something wonderful will happen. And we just have to, to do it to work out, oh, that's what Jesus' voice sounds like. But you have to take a risk. And don't think that me being up here going for stuff isn't full of risk for me. I am shaking in my boots every single time I do it. I have to learn that actually heaven applauds courage, not results. Okay, It's only us that applaud results. And so actually, even if no one had responded to that word I just brought, Heaven will be applauding me for the courage. Whether I, it was right or wrong, whether I heard it right or wrong, doesn't matter. But we have to take a risk. And recently I was in Romania just a month or so ago, and uh, I was preaching, and during that preach I had a word of knowledge that God gave me really clearly, which was for someone with cataracts who had a fear of blindness, but who was young. Now, I'm no medical expert, but I know cataracts is usually a problem for the elderly. And particularly in Romania, you don't normally need a word of knowledge. So it'd be like me having a word of knowledge here where thousands of people are camping that someone might have a bad back. Okay? I don't need a word of knowledge for that. I'm still happy to pray and believe for their healing, but I don't need a word of knowledge for it. Well, in Romania, which is a second world country with no NHS and just 25 years out of communism, you don't really need a word of knowledge to know that there'll be somebody there with cataracts issues. But I really felt this was for a young person. And so I, uh, I gave the word and several old people stood up for, for it, which I was disappointed about in the sense that I really felt it was for a young person and I prayed for them and I believed God for their healing it was no issue but there was something feeling like well I've just crashed and bombed and now I've got to preach so now I've demonstrated to a complete group of people that I inaccurately heard the word of the Holy Spirit but please listen to me while I preach that's what's going on in my head um and so there's always a risk involved. Um, yet afterwards, this old lady came up to me with her granddaughter, who was 20. And her, this granddaughter had her first cataracts operation when she was 11. She'd had four more, and she was petrified of going blind. And she didn't stand in, in the moment, but she came for prayer, and I didn't headbutt her. Okay. I prayed for her in faith, and it was great to be able to say to her, Look, I'm coming back soon, let's see what the Father will do. But the thing was, was that you now know the whole story, but everyone in that room thought I'd bombed. And they still probably think I'd bombed, and that's okay. Because it's the affirmation of my Father that drives me, not the affirmation of the people in the room. But still, I have to take a risk. And so we have to be people that continually take risks. And so if we want to be those that are going to be led by the Spirit, we need to be full of the Spirit, remain full of the Spirit. We have to subject our will to the will of the Father. 
And we have to get to know what his voice sounds like and do what he says. And that means taking some risks. And so there's this sense of us having to just go for it. And uh, I was in Canada uh, last year, and um, I was just with uh, the, the church out in Vancouver, and uh, I gave a word of knowledge at a men's meeting, which was for a different church, um, and I just, you know, I was told it was a charismatic evangelical church. I thought, brilliant, we'll just start off, I'll just go for some words of knowledge, and then I'll preach, and I, I went for this word of knowledge, it was a, uh, for a, a guy who'd retired, but had an industrial injury some years before, and he was still in pain with it now. So quite specific, and I went for it, and, and all of these guys just looked at me like that. For ages, no one responded. So then I thought, oh my gosh, so anyway, I just got on and... And, and went for it, and, and the Holy Spirit came, and people encountered him later on, and they asked me, would I come back in the morning? And uh, I couldn't, because I was at a, a conference for the church I was with. And, and so we went to, that, uh, went to that conference, and in my heart, at the beginning of the conference, these guys then came. So they were there. And in my heart, I felt Holy Spirit say to me, you need to go for some words of knowledge straight off the bat. And I'm thinking, but I just crashed and burned last night, and those guys are here now. And, I, you know, so there's this internal battle going on to the point where I, I had to go for it and I went for it. It was for shoulders, shoulder pain, and two or three people stood up. And so as they stood up, we prayed. And while I was praying, the teenagers were all sitting down there. So I'm praying and looking at the teenagers were doing this to them. I'm watching you. And they were like, we're watching you. Um, and then... Praise God, there were some healings that came, which was wonderful. And then after that session, this guy came up to me and said, oh, I was at that thing last night. And I said, oh, okay. And he said, I don't know if it was for me, because I've never come across that before, but I had a pile of rubble fall on me at work about 10 years ago. I'm retired now, but I still get a lot of pain. Do you think it was me? Now, I really did want to headbutt him <laughs> at that point. But actually... You've got to take those kind of risks. And the, the challenge was, was I had to go again the next day. But it's where you're looking to get your applause from. And if you want an intimate relationship with Jesus, are you going to follow where he leads? And that's the big challenge. That's where our biggest theology gap is. Is, is we want to be led by the Spirit. But there gets a point where we've actually got to do what he calls us to do. And that's all on us. Now, he'll pitch up, and he'll come, but we just have to go for it. And so the following morning, church now in Vancouver, Sunday morning, and I feel, I wonder if we should go for words of knowledge, but what I noticed, there were two teenagers on the front row. And so I went up to them and asked them, during the worship, so everyone's worshipping, to these two teenagers, I said, do you think we should go for words of knowledge this morning? Again, like I did yesterday. And they were like, yeah, you totally should. I said, no, 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 no. Should we go for some words of knowledge this morning? And they went, uh, yeah. And so all I asked them to do was just to imagine a, a, a skeleton and ask Holy Spirit to draw you to a particular place on the body and then just say the first thing that you think. And they both said, hips, straight away. And I'm like, okay, maybe it's hips. So they said, yeah, 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 let's go again. And so I can't remember what the second thing was. And I said, well, when I get up to speak, I'll invite you to come to the microphone, bring those words of knowledge, we'll pray for the sick. 
And, um, and then I went off back into worship. Mum there, worshipping the Lord. Suddenly I get this. And I looked down, there's one of those teenagers. And liver conditions, she said. Liver conditions, we need to go for that as well. I'm like, oh, okay. Now the scary thing was that for them was actually having to come and bring it. And they, they brought it and God moved and that people were touched. And it was incredible. But I had to take a risk. And so if we're going to close that theology gap, we've got to learn what it is to follow Jesus. And do you know what? Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And so, trust me, if we're going to follow him, that's where we're going to end up. We're going to end up with the lost, with the poor, and with the marginalized. And so, we need to understand that we've got to take this risk when our will is submitted to him. When we truly want to say, I want to follow you, Jesus. I want to follow you. There comes a point where you've actually got to do it. You've actually got to step out. And we read in that passage, if you follow on from Luke 4, about Jesus being in the wilderness. And then in verse 14, it says this, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went throughout the whole surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So he went into the wilderness, full of the Spirit. But when he came out, he was full of power. He was in the power of the Spirit. And so there's that intimacy that, he, that, that we need that moves us from just being full of the Spirit to being empowered by the Spirit. And that requires us to take some risks. But remember whose mission you're on. It's unwise to take risks if you're on your own mission. But if we're on his mission, if we've listened to his voice, if we know what it is he's saying to do, then we will see heaven on earth because his will is being done right here as it is in heaven. And that is what I trust we're all about. And so tomorrow, as time is pushing on, we're going to look at what stops us. What are the things that stop us? And I've touched on that already um, a little bit about being on our own mission because of our orphan-heartedness. But actually, we're going we're gonna to touch on some more things tomorrow as we push into well, what is it that's stopping us? Because I believe that Holy Spirit wants to remove those barriers so that we can be all he's called us to be on this amazing mission that he's given us. So I'm, I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to pray. I'm going to see if my team have got uh, any more prophetic words. And then um, if you want prayer, we would love to pray with you. So if you want to respond to anything again, so stuff that maybe you've already stood up for and you just want to press into the Spirit a little bit more on those things, or if you just want to kind of talk some more and get some more prayer, we'd love to pray with you. Um, so Heavenly Father, we just want to stand right now before you and say, Lord, we are all about you. Father, we don't want to do anything that you're not doing. We don't want to say anything you're not saying. We don't want to be on a mission that's not yours. And Father, whatever it is sometimes within us, in our weakness, in our orphan-heartedness that drives us towards the wrong mission, Lord God, I pray, would you reveal it to us now? Would you reveal it over these coming days? Lord, that we might be those that not only know you, but not only hear your voice, but we follow where you lead. Amen. Amen.
just invite Joe just to come and uh, share some stuff and we'll see what God does. Just had a real sense that there might be someone here or a few people here that um, you went into something, a venture that you really believed God was speaking about and you really believed it was God and then it just kind of went pear-shaped and uh, it really kind of took hold of the inside of you and it's kind of really stopped you reaching out and, and taking risks again. And I, I just feel like God really wants to draw you very close to him because he wants, there's something that he's commissioning you to do. Uh, there's some healing that he's going to bring and some commissioning that he wants to do. Wonderful. Well, we're going to leave it there for today. Um, if you need to go and collect children for 12.30, please go and do that. But if you'd like prayer, you want some ministry, then please do come down the front. Uh, we'd love to pray with you. We love praying with people. If you need more of the Holy Spirit, you want to be baptized in the Spirit, you want to speak in tongues, all of the kind of stuff I've touched on today, we'd love to pray with you. So please, please come forward. Thank you.